Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. The team trumps the individuals. The team has far more capacity to get things done and to perform than any individual or any group of individuals who are, you know, transactional or, you know, just taking care of their own needs. And so we always say that t- with the team, the mission comes first, your teammates come second, and you come third, right? So you have to begin to, to organize things in, the, in that order where your needs are not the most important things. Welcome back. I hope you've had a fantastic week so far. If you haven't heard my recent episodes with motivational speaker and entrepreneur Scott Mason and with nurse turned writer and writing coach Janine Kelbach, then do go listen to them, but only after you've listened to today's conversation first. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Mark Devine. Mark is the founder and leader of several highly successful enterprises, including SealFit for physical and mental training, Unbeatable Mind for executive mastery development, Navy SEALs and US CrossFit. He also co-founded the Coronado Brewing Company in Coronado, California. Mark Devine is an expert in human performance as it is displayed in mental toughness, in leadership and physical readiness. His work is based on an integral warrior-led model that he developed and tested on over a thousand special operations candidates worldwide. Mark's other professional experience includes 20 years as a Navy SEAL officer, retiring as a commander in 2011, also four years as a certified practicing accountant with PricewaterhouseCoopers prior to joining the Navy. Mark also served as an adjunct professor of leadership at the University of San Diego and has authored five books, The Way of the Seal, Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, Kokoro Yoga, Unbeatable Mind, and The Seal Fit Training Guide. In our discussion today, Mark talked to me about how we can call up peak performance as an on-demand state. We talked about being radically service and mission focused and building relationships with transformation rather than transaction. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Mark Devine.
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today, all the way from Carlsbad, California in the USA, Mark Devine, who's an expert in human performance. He's the founder and CEO at Unbeatable Mind and SealFit, and he's the author of several books, including Staring Down the Wolf and Unbeatable Mind, as well as host of the Unbeatable Mind podcast. So welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Mark. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. It's a privilege to be here, Jürgen. Thanks for, uh, for inviting me and for being patient with getting it scheduled. <laughs> Chad Cooper, who was our guest on episode 316 of the InnovaBuzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So big hello to Chad as well. Yeah, big hello to Chad. Great guy. Love him. Hmm. Now, you, you've obviously got a passion for human performance and for leadership. So what what drove that? Where did that come about? Um, well, that's a, that's a really good question. A lot of it had to do with my own quest for performance, which happened um, kind of accidentally. And, uh, you know, the, sh the, the short version of the long story is that I was um, in New York uh, with my first job. This is way back in 1985. Uh, going to NYU to get my master's in uh, finance and, and working for a public accounting firm and on, you know, on track to become a certified public accountant, which takes several years if, you're, if you don't have an undergrad in accounting like I did not. Um, so I was getting night, I was going to school at night at NYU and I was doing all this, you know, this business stuff. So I wasn't thinking about elite performance and I wasn't, you know, thinking about human potential. I was an athlete in college, and then suddenly I'm in the workforce. Um, so what changed for me, what was my kind of lightning bolt that, that just shattered my paradigm and sent me off in this whole new direction was I started a martial arts program um, where the grandmaster who started this, founded this school of karate called Sato, Grandmaster Nakamura, a very Japanese um, grandmaster, <laughs> as you can tell by the name who was also a Zen master, Jürgen. And so here was this 21-year-old kid going to school part-time, working full-time, you know, trying to fit my exercise in at lunch hour and running in the morning. And I was, you know, literally going to squeeze in just a karate class in between work and school. And I, I stumble upon a Zen master who takes me under his wings. And I started at 21 a, um, you know, a, a rich practice of, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual development. As you're familiar with, I'm sure the, the martial arts under the right tutelage can be a whole person development program. And uh, I was under the right tutelage. At any rate, four years into my practice, I got my black belt, I got my MBA, I got my certified public accountant, all in the, all in the month of November 1989. I started this, this journey in 1985. And then I was on a bus to Officer Canada School to become an elite Navy SEAL. That's, that's the impact that meditation at that early age had on my brain and my mind. It cracked me wide open. It, it completely changed my vision of who I was and what I was meant for on this planet. Changed the story of what I was capable of. And um, there was a lot to that, of course. And I, wrote, I write about that in my books, Away of the Seal and Undo Mind. But... Uh, it led me into the Navy SEALs. Now, of course, the Navy SEALs, you know, are, are known worldwide as probably the elite or if not the, one of the elite, along with Australian SES, who I work with um, closely, as well as British SES and some of the German comp swimmers and others. 
but the super elite small special ops service. And so they were all about performance, right? Everything the SEALs did from the selection and the training and mission prep and conducting a mission and the post mission, all of it was designed to facilitate elite individual and team performance. And so building on top of my, um, my experience in Zen and the martial arts, um, I took copious notes because I was fascinated with that. And so I, I developed over time this unique perspective on training myself and training others. So when I left the SEALs uh, and got into the business world, I, I really wanted to take that further. And so that's what led me into the you know, kind of business and coaching and you know, this world that we're talking about here. That wasn't too long. I've usually, you know, I can do that introduction in about an hour. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. detail that I left fa out. Fascinating story, and there's a lot, lot there. Obviously, a yeah. lot to unpack as well. But um, I don't want to spoil the books for anyone. Um, the the thing that uh, I find fascinating is, you know, you, you're one of several guests that I've had on. And I'll have to introduce you to somebody that I think you'll um, love having a conversation with, who's had a a similar journey in some ways in terms of embracing martial arts at a level that um, he was mentored and and it became not just the physical mm -hmm. manifestation and training of of that martial arts and and understanding and mastering the physical aspects of it but also that that whole yeah. kind whole of mindset person. and person yeah personal development part of it so I'm interested from your point of view, when, when you then chose to go into the Navy, was that all part of the big package? And did you have an aspiration straight away to go into the SEALs or was that a longer process? Well, there was a process that unfolded um, as part of my meditation. You know, this is 1985 to 89. There wasn't a whole lot known about the SEALs back then. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like today where you had hundreds if not thousands of books written by seals and yeah, yeah. tv shows and movies TV shows yeah, there, was, yeah. there was almost nothing in fact even the recruiters didn't know much about the seals because they truly were okay. a secret <laughs> organization back then which was pretty cool and my dad literally you know had a judge tell him either you join the army or you go to jail and he chose army you know he goes a you know a join the army or b go to jail he goes a so he joined the army so he didn't have a great kind of um experience with the military and so there and we have a a pretty well-heeled family business in upstate new york that's been around for over 120 130 years that all the sons of the family have gone into so you, you can imagine Jurgen, what my mindset my conditioning was in terms of my family hmm. it was something like this military is for losers people can't make it in the real world divines are business people and we work at Divine Brothers, which is the name of the business. And so that's what I was brought up with. In fact, when I uh, graduated from university and went down to New York and got this job with public accounting, a, a firm called Price Waterhouse Coopers, it was Coopers and Libran at the time, and NYU, they thought that was just brilliant because here their golden child was going to have an MBA, a, you know, master's in business administration, a certified public accountancy, which would probably be called chartered, chartered accountant or something mm -hmm. over there. And uh, he used to have some great experience in the in the real world. And then, you know, with all that, armed with all that, he'll come back and be a better, you know, president of Divine Brothers. And I, like most people, you buy into these stories that you grow up with. 
And it takes either a mentor or, or a, a, a real paradigm shifting experience for a lot of people to break free of those stories. I'm not saying this is everybody because a lot of listeners will say, well, I didn't want to do what my parents did. But a lot of people will be like, actually, you know, I was kind of conditioned to be a doctor or a lawyer or a mm -hmm. business guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyways, I was one of those guys who was conditioned. But when I sat down in the meditation, so my point there is I had no interest in the military when I went to New York. Zero. It wasn't even on my radar. But when I sat on that meditation bench under the watchful eye, see, this is what happened. Most of the students were into karate. And we did a little bit of Zen, a little bit of meditation before and after class. But because Nakamura was passionate about Zen, he had an extra class on Thursday nights, which was an hour-long Zen practice. And then he took a small group of us to the Zen Mountain Monastery in upstate New York twice a year for about a week. And I was one of about 10 students, all the rest black belts. And here's this white belt who was like, I want to do that meditation. This is something really interesting to me. So that process that unfolded, you know, of course, now we know about neuroplasticity and changes that happen to your brain and states and stages of development and all this stuff that I really understand now. I had no clue, but I first had to learn how to concentrate to tame my mind. And, and that took about a year of work. So anyone who's listening has tried meditation. No, it's, it's not simple work, right? It's a, to do it well takes practice and it takes discipline. You got to do it every day, but I did it every day. And I, cause I trusted this guy Nakamura that this was valuable for me. So once I learned how to concentrate and focus just on one thing, then I started to really open up to be able to create kind of this metacognitive shift in my mind. This has happened naturally where as a result of the concentration practice and, and routinely noticing when I wasn't concentrating and thinking and bringing myself back to the concentration, it created a metacognitive um, split in my mind, not a, not a personality split, but a, a split where I could, I could operate out of the contextual mind, which is really more right hemisphere, while watching the con content mind, which is really left hemisphere. So content means thoughts and emotions. Hmm. Context means like the field of all those, where those thoughts and emotions are coming out of, the pattern recognition. So I was able to, to kind of shift my attention into the contextual awareness and to watch my thoughts. And when I watched my thoughts, I started to see these patterns that had driven me into be this, this you know, New York uh, business suit, right? Uh, getting a CPA and MBA who's going to end up back in the family business. And I, what I saw, I didn't like. I didn't resonate with those patterns. I was just... Because prior to this Zen practice, I was merged with those patterns. I never questioned them. But once I started to separate from those thoughts and those belief patterns, I started to ask, is that really me? And the answer I got was, no, that's not really me. So then it opened up a whole host of the new questions. You're going, okay, if that's not me, then who the heck is me? Like, who is Mark Devine? Who is he? What, and what is he here on this planet for? So I started to ask those questions in my meditation sessions. Now, of course, I didn't hear like some booming voice, you know, come down and say, <laughs> you're meant to be an elite Navy SEAL commando. No, but because I started to know what I didn't want, what I didn't like, and what I wasn't meant for, then it opened up possibilities for what I was meant for and what I did like. And so it, 
this process now took about two years and a lot of contemplation, a lot of journaling after my meditation sessions and everything started to kind of feed and work together. And what happens, I started to get these imagery and these sensations of that I can only describe as kind of like warrior-like. Like I, I was feeling drawn toward the warrior arts through my martial arts training to the warrior professions. I started to read a little bit more about warrior professions. I started to think, well, maybe that's it. And the more I dove into that, the more it started to feel right. I started to align with that. I said, yeah, that's it. And so right around this time where I was starting to think, well, maybe I'm meant to be a warrior without thinking necessarily military, but you know, I knew that I could be a warrior in certain different domains. I um, was walking home one night from work and I came across a Navy recruiting office and lo and behold, on the window was this poster and it said nothing about the Navy SEALs, but across the top it said, be someone special. And it had imagery of Navy SEALs doing cool Navy SEAL stuff. And I was just transfixed. And right then I was like, that's it, right? When I was ready, you know, kind of the universe showed me yeah. the path and that was the path. Now. It took me a while to, you know, get in, and there was a whole other practice that I developed around that and included visualization, but um, there's no question. By the time I, when I got in and left in 1989, you know, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would be a Navy SEAL, you know, the training itself was already pretty much accomplished in my mind because I had visualized it so much. And uh, I, sure enough, I went to SEAL training in 1990. I graduated number one in my class. We had 185 rough and tumble guys, all perfectly qualified, start training with me in class 170. And 19 of us graduated. I was number one graduate, top ranked graduate. And all of my team, my small team of seven, were there with me at the end. So it was something that I had learned under Nakamura's watchful eye that allowed me to lead really effectively this small team through the hardest training, you know, on the planet to where, you know, practically one third of the graduating class was, was my, myself and my team. It's a pretty extraordinary mm -hmm. experience. I think about that a lot. And I've really spent many, many years trying to reflect back on all the, the lessons I learned under Nakamura's guidance and to learn everything I could about peak performance and how meditation and concentration and mindfulness and visualization and journaling and contemplation, how all these tools can serve and visualization i'm not sure i said that can serve us to really help us tap into our unlimited potential and to maintain peak performance not as a hope to have but as an on-demand thing we can we can access flow states on demand right and how valuable would that be for leaders and also to be able to connect deeper at an individual level so that you can unlock the full potential of your team and serve at a more powerful level so you can impact the world in a way that's uniquely yours. So this, you know, mm. these are the things that I've really, really um, uncovered in my own life through that journey into the SEALs, through the SEALs, 20-year career, retiring as a commander in 2011, and then through my business and teaching first Navy SEALs and Australian SAS and all the you know allied country spec ops, how to think and act and behave and train like this, and then to countless uh, entrepreneurs and executives since uh, 2007, I think, roughly. Mm. Yeah, it's a fascinating journey. And, and um, it kind of, I mean, there's several highlights there for me in terms of, you know, working on yourself and 
really getting to understand yourself and your motivation and your drives and the when you walked by that navy recruiting office and you saw the the poster and you said that's it that's what i'm looking for and and so you know to me it was like you'd got yourself into that state where um you were going to recognize the opportunities mm-hmm. uh, whereas in before you were in that state you might have just walked by there you might not that's have right. even seen the poster that's right you're probably right and that's the way life works right you know we of course we know about cognitive bias and confirmation bias and all that but this is something deeper i think that there's like a, a resonance field you know when you when you deeply desire something and you're visualizing you know something or you know, energetically but you're not quite sure exactly what it is but you feel like this you know, something's emerging and you stay with that energy, then it, it will reveal itself. I think entrepreneurs feel this keenly. Like, I don't think there's probably an entrepreneur who's listening to this who whose business looked exactly like they thought it would when they first conceived of it after it was, you know, but they felt that emergence, like it's got to come to life. And while, because they were so passionate about it and they, they lived and breathed it every day, and they visualized, you know, whatever outcomes they could visualize, then, then certain people revealed themselves, you know, at the right time and, you know, capital partners revealed themselves. And to me, those are the best stories because, you know, the entrepreneurs are, are really passionately committed to the project because they're kind of manifesting it one step at a time or one stone at a time, you know? Mm, That's right. Um, So, I mean, there's a couple of things you mentioned that I'd really like to explore a lot more. I mean, one of them was having peak performance kind of on demand as an on-demand state. So saying, Mm -hmm. okay, this is going to happen now. Here's an event that I'm going to, or let's say I'm going on stage to present a workshop or I'm going on stage to present a speech. And so I'm going to choose to be in peak performance state right now Mm -hmm. so that I provide the maximum value to my audience. Right. So how, how do you go about constructing that, getting yourself into that peak performance state or training yourself so that you're able to actually do it? Yeah, that's a great question. There's, um, there's two aspects to this. There's kind of the, the, the meta aspect and then kind of the micro aspect of the training, specific training tools. The meta aspect is those, these four areas that I kind of alluded to earlier that we work in every day in our Unveiled Mind training program, at least, and, and I'll share them here in terms of uh, with, the, uh, with the objective of expanding our potential, um, creating the conditions for peak performance, uh, deepening our ability to connect with people, including, let's say, what, what you just referred to, you know, giving a speech, the, the capacity to really connect to people to where they feel respected and trusted and cared for, right? And then the fourth is to have such a powerful why behind your actions that, you know, that is driven by a need to make an impact in the world because you're clear about your uh, capabilities, you're clear about your worthiness, and you're clear about what you're meant to do in this world to make an impact. So those four domains co-arise. The first the field of the, is the field of potential. And this is what we say is you can 20x or 20 times your potential by um, 
by connecting to your higher self or your witnessing self, which I described earlier that I, I happened to mm. stumbled upon in Zen, and disassociating with your original stories, you know, the, the meditation traditions would call those your false self stories, yeah. disengaging from them and recreating an entirely new story for your life that is 20 times more powerful. So you want to expand your potential, then create a story of expanded potential, an internal story, one that you truly believe, and that includes a vision for your future. So anyone listening say, okay, that's the first step. Okay, fine and good. How's this going to create flow and demand? Well, it's not going to yet, but it's going to expand the potential to give you a much more powerful reason, right? Because you're like, oh, I, I can do this, right? I've got this. The second is the, the realm actually of your physical actions, and we call that the realm of performance. Your physical actions behaviors are going to be diminished if we don't take care of our body through exercise and effective movement and breathing properly and fueling properly and hydrating properly and sleeping properly or effectively and recovery, right? Also time in nature and time with other human beings and communities of practice and, and um, you know, coming together and caring for each other. All these things are kind of foundational. And if you don't take care of them, then there's no way you can arrive at peak performance and maintain it or access it on demand. So, and those are like fundamental things that we call your stand in life. So you, t you stand for optimal health, you stand for peak performance, then you've got to take care of those things, period. Non-negotiable, right? Non-negotiable. And so many people that I coach are, come into it our programs we have to kind of start there because they're overcommitted, they're overstressed, they're overfed, <laughs> they're underslept mm. right and all these things mean their body's out of balance if the body's out of the balance the brain is out of balance and if the body and the brain are out of balance you can't perform at your peak period nor can you effectively do the potential work that we described because you're not going to be able to like do the internal work very well because you're going to be agitated. If you try to sit and meditate or box breathe or, or visualize, your brain's going to be jumping around all over the place and it's going to be full of toxic thoughts and um, fear and negativity because your body brain is out of balance. So these two work like a hand in the glove. The third is this area of connection. You want to really 20x your your impact in the world, then you have to do it. You have to do it through a team or a team of teams. You, you know, nothing brilliant and worthy is ever created alone. Maybe an invention here or there, but to bring, even to bring inventions to the world, you know, requires a team. And so if you want to be a leader and inspire a team, then often, this is what my book, Steering Down the Wolf is about, often we're the biggest limiting factor hmm. in the team, right? Because we think that we have to have the answers, or we think that we're always right, or we think that it's our vision that everyone must align with, or we, you know, you get the picture. It's we're we're leading from ego, and so what we have to do here is really tame the ego and and step out of our ego and into the the morphogenic field of the team. And I'm not saying subjugate or sub sub you know vert yourself to the team but to merge with the team as a teammate to serve the team to support the team's growth to unlock the team's potential 
and to set your, you know, check your ego at the door and to make it all about the team. The vision should be about the team, right? The mission's about the team. The spoils are shared with the team. Information is shared with the team. Ideas come from all corners, right? They're not the, you know, they're not just the top echelon behind closed doors, you know? So it's, it's really the getting that team energy totally unlocked. And in order to do that, you need deepened connection, your ability to connect with human beings at a heart level beyond the, the brain's ego level, the personality's ego level. That can be trained, right? There are, there are tools, there are practices, there are coaches who can help train that. And it's something that we really focus on. So that will help us when we get ready to, or when we, you know, when the training kicks in, that'll help us maintain peak performance uh, flow states on demand because we're automatically connecting with our team at a deep level and their potential is being added to our potential. Their performance is being added to our performance. It's a self, it's a self-reinforcing upward spiral. Hmm. And then the last area is this notion of service and mission focus. We train our ability to radically focus on one thing at the right time, one thing at a time, and it's the right thing at the right time. And this radical focus when combined with a bigger vision for how you can impact the world leads to a serious commitment. We call that your why, like a serious why, like Simon Sinek said, it all starts with why, but if you have a small why, hmm. then no big deal, right? But if you have a massive why behind your vision and you're starting with that why to fuel up your vision, right? Then you can move mountains. So we focus on these four things, uh, expanding our potential, uh, balancing ourselves to maintain the capacity for peak performance, developing the ability to connect deeper with other human beings in our in our circles of influence, so our team of teams, and radically developing radical focus on the right things at the right time, so that our mission, you know, becomes an unstoppable force and we can serve the world powerfully. Now, when all these start to come together, any time within our day to day activities that we actually have to ensure 100% peak performance. The skills we use, we call the big four. And the first is uh, breath control, right? So we know now, and, and research is showing, or it's proven that uh, when you breathe deeply and diaphragmatically, a couple things happen. One is you're massaging your vagus nerve and you're triggering parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest, and you're calming down and you're bleeding off stress. We treat this as a daily practice we call box breathing. So when you practice box breathing every day, and we do it in the morning as part of our morning routine, you end up bleeding off all the stress that you build up on, throughout your life, completely balancing your body and brain. This in itself is just a profound practice. And because you're bleeding off all that stress, then you have you don't, you're not agitated. Now, all you have to do is before your peak, let's, let's use the speech as an example, as I do this all the time. Before your speech, just reconnect with that box breathing practice for five or 10 minutes and immediately get you in this state of like energized, calm, poised, you know, coiled readiness, like a Zen a samurai kind of meditating, but ready to spring into action. That's one of the outcomes of the box breathing practice. The second skill um, is one of attention control and the ability to, to with razor sharp uh, refinement, 
to curate the quality of your thinking. There's two parts to this. One is the anti-negative part. This is where you eradicate any negative thoughts and you cut them off at the head as soon as they start arising. So if you're sitting there before your speech and you're thinking, holy shit, you know, there's a thousand people in the room. I'm not sure I can do this. I don't know if I've mastered the material. I haven't practiced enough. You're toast, right? You're already heading down this slippery slope of, of you know, having a pretty rough go. And so you, you teach yourself to, to, to cut those thoughts off at the head and to redirect to something that's going to be really positive and productive for where you're going. And so you'd cut that off, that thought off that says, I don't know if I practice enough or rehearse enough. And you say, I got this. I've rehearsed this hundreds of times. I know this content beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm going to crush this. This is going to be one of the, this is going to be the best speech I've ever given in my life. I'm going to connect deeply with the audience. I'm going to have a blast. Right? And you start that dialogue and you train yourself to have that dialogue. That's the second skill. And it's totally trainable, but it takes daily practice. And the third is the imagery, right? So assuming that I, let's put it, let's use you. You are a world-class podcaster. If you couldn't see yourself as a world-class podcaster, you wouldn't be a world-class podcaster, right? You have to have an image in your mind of what that looks like. And you have to check in with it every day. And this is my thing. Navy SEALs would not be as darn successful as they are if they didn't see themselves in their mind's eye as absolute winners, as victorious every time, as the baddest ass commandos on the planet. They see it in their mind's eye and they practice it together as a team. So that's, you know, back to the speech, I would practice that speech in my mind's eye. I would see myself, not just rehearse it, say in front of a mirror, but then I would visualize it, visualize myself giving the speech, visualize the audience responding, visualize myself as positive and in that peak performance state. And, you know, like Tony Robbins said, you just keep anchoring this in to your physiology so that just the slightest shifts in your physiology standing up straighter, taking that deep breath, raising your arms, you know, triggers this image of knowingness, right? That practice of knowingness that I got this. And then the fourth skill is, we, we call it micro goals in the SEALs, but it really is just focusing on one thing at a time and doing the absolute best. So it's a two-part skill. First part is knowing what to focus on and chunking it down to the smallest possible task that you can. And then the second skill is focusing on just that and nothing else, right? So if you start your speech and you're thinking about, oh, I gotta go for an hour and a half and I don't remember you know, what's happening at the end, you're focusing on the wrong things. You know, When I started Navy SEAL Hell Week, which is seven days of nonstop training, no sleep, except for one little tricky four hour session on Thursday that was designed to just confuse the heck out of us. <laughs> You know, if I started on Monday or Sunday and was thinking about getting to Friday, that's no good, right? And most people quit because of that. They just cannot keep their mind focused just on the, the simple task in front of them. When you're going through SEAL training, it, it seems really complicated and elaborate, but every single thing you do is actually fairly simple, right? Especially in Hell Week. You got to pick up a log with your team and walk with it. I mean, how hard could that be? <laughs> it's physically hard, but you know, this isn't this isn't like advanced calculus here. So if all you do is focus on that one thing, 
and just, it, you're not forgetting about everything else. You're just not focusing on it, right? It's, mm. it's kind of like vague in your background. Just focus on that one thing. And when you're done with that one thing, then you allow yourself to focus on the next thing. So for the speech, just focus on prep. And then when you're done and the speech starts, just focus on your introduction and, or your introducing story, right? Just focus on that. And then just focus on the very first principle and telling a great story around that, right? Just focus on that. Don't worry about number two, number three, number four, right? Just do one thing at a time. Focus on one person in the audience at a time, right? Connect with one person at a time. Try to connect with as many people as you can. Just do one thing at a time. You can't do any more than that anyway. So why not just do that one thing yeah. with, with an unbelievable or an uncommon level of attention? Both attention and attention to detail. That's the fourth skill. So when you train these things every day and they, they start to come together in these four domains of potential performance, connection, and impact, service impact, then kind of magic happens, right? Because you're operating at such, such a kind of a refined level that you can literally just, with a thought and a deep breath and re, you know, invoking the image and invoking your positive self-talk, and identifying the right task, you can automatically, you'll automatically click into that flow state. Your mind immediately goes into that, that zone of alpha, like low, you know, low alpha, low beta, high alpha, which is your genius zone. And so, and then you, your breathing slows down, you get more rhythmic, and you're able to access all the right brain kind of patterns that you've absorbed over the years that you know, are related to your expertise, whether you're an athlete or an executive or a creator. And it's all there for you. And you, and you literally just, you know, flow. The information flows out of you. It's really profound. That's why I'm a, a firm believer. I don't know. I've never heard anyone else talk about this, but you, you train flow state. It can be trained and then you can just click it on, turn it on and off at will. And eventually, you don't even need to turn it on and off. You, you're there most of the time. No, I, you can equate yeah. this to like the high, heightened state of awareness that comes from deep, deep meditators, right? Their, their brains are acting, operating at a whole different level, and you could say that they're in a perpetual state of flow. So this is sort of what's happening with what I'm talking about. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a really comprehensive step-by-step um, -step guide sure. to get there. It's no no extra charge. Now, <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that, um, and it came up quite a lot in, in your explanation there, the other thing I did want to explore was the deep connection, building that deep connection to other people. You talked about it in terms of the balance, finding that balance that, that we're all kind of wired, I guess, to be connected to other humans. You talked about it in terms of 20xing your performance. So you do need help with other people to actually contribute to that 20x performance you can't do it all yourself and i think that's something where um quite a number of entrepreneurs don't realize how important it is that they need help from other people you know they have uh, a scarcity mindset they talk about competition and and yet um quite often so-called competition is actually the place where you can build a, a really great team that, yeah. that could support you. Right. Um, so how, how do you go about kind of changing or, or maybe adapting your mindset to the point where 
how can we build that deep connection? Well, one of the things that, for example, that I'm um, quite interested in, I'm sort of exploring at the moment is this idea of how do we network in inverted commas with people in a way that actually builds a connection as opposed to um, our high mark, here's my business, what's your right, business? Right. And, and we exchange business cards, walk away, yeah. and probably nothing happens as right. a result of that conversation. So how do we actually uh, change that whole mindset to build connections that are much more meaningful? Sure. That's a, such a great question. And I think it's so important. And I think people are craving that. I don't if you, you experience mm. the same thing I experienced up in America, people are really craving deeper connection and being parts of uh, groups or networking groups, like you call it, um, where you can connect deeper. And there's real transformation, not just transactional value mm. from it. So we've taken cues in our program from the Navy SEALs because you know, we call it the Navy SEAL teams for a reason. It's all about the team. And the reason the SEALs are so effective is because we have a bunch of great and competent individuals, but who are working together as a team, not working together as a group of competent mm -hmm. individuals, right? The team trumps the individuals. The team has far more capacity to get things done and to perform than any individual or any group of individuals who are you know, transactional or, you know, just taking care of their own needs. And so we always say that t with the team, the mission comes first, your teammates come second, and you come third, right? So you have to begin to, to organize things in, the, in that order where your needs are not the most important things. And then we also say that we take care of our teammates first. We take care of our teammates before we take care of our needs. Now, in the SEALs, that, that's very practical because we're prepping for a mission, then you take care of your, and everyone's assigned a swim buddy or you, you find a swim buddy and then everyone, you know, courses on a team. So you take care of your swim buddy's gear first or you help them take care of the gear and then they'll take care of, help you take care of yours. And sometimes it's a race to see who's, you know, going to take care of the other person first because this gets so ingrained in us. And um, at the end of a mission, right, you don't just, you know, this, this probably drives most people crazy who's listening to this where you get done with an important project and, you know, everyone's out the door, but then you're sitting there going, wait, we haven't cleaned up, you know, there's, there's coffee and soda cans all over the place and the, and the waste baskets are full and the whiteboards are still dirty. And, you know, I'm trying to relate this mm. to business, you know, it's different than getting done with a mission and taking off your dive rig and, you know, cleaning your weapons and stuff like that. But it's the same idea. You don't go, you don't leave until all the team gear and the, and the space is taken care of. And then everyone else's individual needs on your team are taken care of and you've debriefed right, and processed the learning moments and what went right and what went wrong. And, and everyone's got this like completion to the whole thing. Then you can go, you know, eat something, have a beer, whatever, take care of your own needs. So this is really hard for a lot of people to get. It, it, they get it intellectually, but they don't do it because they haven't been taught it they haven't been modeled it and they haven't practiced it because it's not part of our at least in america our western individualistic culture i imagine it's similar in australia mm. but probably i don't know i don't know your culture as well so what we teach is that in order to get there we have to um, get uncomfortable we have to 
break the old paradigm of individual ego, of neediness, of, of a focus on the I instead of the we, by getting uncomfortable with your team, even a team of complete strangers. And this is what we do in our events. Like we, we have these events where we get uncomfortable. Now that discomfort can be sitting in an ice bath with a teammate, um, overnight, you know, hike where it's cold and, or, and it's tiring. Uh, you know, of course, we have extreme hard examples of this, which are amazing experiences, but not for every. And then we have experiences that, you know, I've put 75-year-old women through and they just are blown away. They haven't. So you're, you're talking getting physically uncomfortable. Event. Well, there's physical and psychological discomfort, but they go hand in yeah. hand, right? Once the psychological discomfort starts to go away, the physical piece mm -hmm. is easy. But most people fear the physical because they, they lack confidence in mm -hmm. that arena. We have methodologies to bring people along so that suddenly they're doing things that they didn't think were possible because we cook them like a frog in the, you know, in the, in the, in the event. Right? They don't know that it's hard because they're having so yeah. much fun and because they're focused on their teammate and not themselves and because they're getting supported by this whole team and they, they suddenly feel all this energy. It's really quite extraordinary. So that's what we're working with executives. One of our uh, premier programs is called the tip of the spear, where we uh, bring people together in a group. So there is a networking effect. You have a hundred people sitting in a room and they're all getting to know each other. They're all mutually supporting each other, different industries, different skills. And so we do a mastermind. So that's like no big deal. But we also put them through these immersive events, you know, a, a couple times a year, twice a year when, they, when we come together in person. We, now, we have been able to come together in person because it's such a small group and we can do sort of do social distancing. So we do these immersive groups. But then we also go a step further and we, just like in the SEALs, every individual in this program has a swim buddy or a, t a partner, an accountability partner, and they're part of a boat crew. And that boat crew has a boat crew leader who's a, a certified unbeatable mind coach. So they meet with their swim buddy every day, either by text or by phone, usually by just a, a quick text. Hey, how's your, how'd your training go this morning? Or I just completed my ABC. How are you doing? Right. Or I'm having a struggle. You know, I need this help. Or what do you think about this? Every day they've got that accountability and that support with an individual who's like-minded. Then they have the small team, which we call a boat crew again, with a nod to Navy SEAL training. We call them boat crews. And um, that eight-person team um, meets twice a month and also shares challenges every month. And those challenges can be physical challenges, they can be mental challenges, they can be emotional challenges, they can be spiritual challenges, or it could be like an impact or a service project that they do or they're working toward. And then that um, Boku also has a uh, qualified leader who's certified unbeatable mind coach. We have uh, 400 in training. Our goal is to have over a thousand by the end of next year. And that individual is there for one-on-one -on -one coaching and also team coaching for these. So you can see everything that's going on here. They've got the content that we deliver with Unbeal Mind, which has all these skills and training that we talked about around peaking performance, flow state, you know, tapping potential, deepening connection, all that. Training what we call the five mountains of physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual capacities. But then they also have this tribe where they can all, you know, this peer group is all not just about networking, it's about transformation. And then they've got the accountability with their swim buddy, they've got the accountability with their boat crew and the challenges of the boat crew, they've got an expert coach, the 
pick them up when they fall down and, and to provide some inspiration or you know guidance. And all of these things work together, this transformation in the tribe, and then as a result of that, they get serious traction. Uh, the whole program we call a uh, program of vertical development. We're trying to evolve people vertically up the scale of consciousness so that they're, they deepen their character, they transform who they are and why they do what they do as opposed to just what they do doing it better, which is what most leadership programs do. I saw how people transformed, you know, from, you know, just average kids to these world-class elite leaders in the SEALs. And it's because of a similar model, whether the SEALs would name it as such or not, which they don't, a similar thing was happening because of the multidimensionality to the experience you know, and the teaming and the accountability and the challenge and the constant change and growth, you know, that occurs through constantly challenging and trying new things and having to master multiple skills and, and lead in, in high risk environments. You know, the, the growth that accrues to the special operators um, in all services is just extraordinary. And that's why when they get out, they make incredible entrepreneurs and, you know, really, really good leaders. Mm. Yeah, that's fabulous. So lots of stuff there to follow up on um i am right i am aware of the time i mean i could dig, keep digging and keep going further but it's probably a good time to move on to the buzz but before we do move on to the buzz i am curious the metaphor staring down the wolf tell us a little bit more about what's behind the metaphor my um my first book is my self-published book and I, it's called uh, unbeatable mind and on the cover you can't really see here but you can see that's a wolf and that's mm. me it's this picture behind me that uh, you can't see it if you're listening, but Jurgen just saw it. It's a picture of me staring at a wolf. And uh, the metaphor there is from the Native American culture and probably Native cultures all over the place, but you know, I'll say Native American in that um, they would tell their grandchildren that there's two wolves that vie for your attention. The wolf of fear who resides in your head and the wolf of courage who resides in your heart. And of course, the children would ask, uh, which wolf, you know, is dominant or, or, you know, which wolf, you know, should we pay attention to? They say, well, the wolf that you feed the most, hmm. the wolf that you feed the most will win, will dominate. And most people feed the wolf of fear because they're feeding fear by, you know, watching the hmm. news every day and by being terrified about, you know, the wildfires in Australia or the elections in the United States or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or China's influence in, in whatever. And um, so feeding the fear wolf leads to the fear wolf dominating you. And it's very, very difficult to overcome that. So the only way to overcome that is to stare down that wolf, right? And stare down the wolf and say, no, <laughs> you are not in charge anymore. I'm not going to feed you. I'm going to starve you. And to feed the courage wolf instead. Courage wolf is eyes in your heart. How do you feed the courage wolf? Through positive dialogue, through overcoming your fears and um, your negative biases through opening up your heart, through compassionate communication, um, through meditation, you know, through caring about others more, caring about the environment, working with, you know, working with nature, hands on the earth, that type of thing. And also service, right? really having a service mindset, putting, you know, service first, your team, you know, so that would be the mission, your team next, and then yourself last. And this is how we feed the courage wolf. So that's where that title came from. I wanted to do a book on emotional development for leaders and teams. And 
my main theme there was you got to stare down your wolf of fear and overcome your negativity and your biases and your judgmentalism and your righteousness and your perfectionism, all those yeah. isms, right? So you can get out of the way and let the team yeah, flourish. Yeah. And a lot of that's about putting the ego, leaving the ego at the door, right? <laughs> that's right. Checking yeah. it at the door. All right. Well, as I say, it's. Uh, I think it's a good time to move on to the buzz. Thanks for clearing that up for me. I, I was curious to about the wolf. Now, um, so the innovation round, the buzz, is designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I've got five questions and hopefully your answers will inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result, not that they need any more inspiration based on what you've already shared <laughs> with us. But let's go with the questions. <laughs> let's What's the it. number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Well, I tell you what. Um, Deep diaphragmatic breathing, mm. right? So this is, you know, everyone usually has a more practical answer, but this <laughs> is the most practical. Because again, if you can, as I talked about, if you can use deep diaphragmatic breathing or practice like box breathing, which you can learn more about at our website, unbeelmind.com, or search Mark Divine Box Breathing on YouTube. Um, it, it really opens up both the content and the contextual mind. And those two need to work together right and left hemisphere. They need to work together if you want to innovate, if you want to be creative. So creativity comes out of the spontaneous recognition of new patterns or deep uh, insight um, of, of, of directly perceiving something new that you didn't know before. And both of those capacities come from whole mind thinking, which is the integration of, of your right hemisphere, left hemisphere, heart and belly. Right, because we now know that your heart and your belly have neurological processing and neurons. So the whole point about creativity and innovation is to be able to use your whole thinking capacity, your whole mind, and the door into that is breath work. Mm. Yeah, that's so box breathing. Great advice. I'd, um, I've been reading some stuff recently about you know understanding the mind better and so on, and I think there's a a school of thought that's gaining traction which says that the, your mind is not just your brain. Your mind is actually the whole body. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. It's the whole body. So what, what, That's our belief. So what you were talking about earlier about taking care of yourself from a physical sense, well-being, um, exercise, enough sleep, feeding, you know, enough, uh, the right kind of food, and, and then the breathing thing all taps into that in, in getting the mind to peak performance. Hmm. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, the brain is just the organ, and, and you have multiple brains, yeah. right? You have the dominant one up in the head. That's why it's yeah. the highest in your body. Like, it's up there. It's the executive agent. But your heart's a brain. Your belly's a brain. Your nervous mm. system's a brain. Your skin's a brain. Fashion. Yeah. Everything. yeah, well, it is fascinating because, I mean, we our normal breathing or the heartbeat, pumping blood around the body, the digestion, all of that happens without us actually thinking consciously about it. So it's all unconscious. Right. And... You know, if you take this idea of the mind being all over in the different brains, you wonder whether the, the brain in your head has actually got anything to do with some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's, a, here's another uh, thing that many people don't recognize or understand. It's not talked about much, but you actually pump more blood into your brain through deep diaphragmatic breathing than your heart is able to pump into mm. the brain. Isn't yeah. that fascinating? Yeah, you, you create this like pump effect with your diaphragm and with the, you know, that 
the chest right, going like this, and it, and it creates a wave effect with your blood, and it gets it up, it gets it into your brain. It pushes more blood into your brain than your heart mm. actually does. So deep diaphragmatic breathing is quite simply one of the most important things that we can do for overall health, brain health, body health, and longevity, um, optimal weight, and energy management. Not to mention, um, it's the pathway, you know, I, I'm a lifetime yogi now, not almost lifetime, but since, since, you know, I consider Zen and yoga to be closely aligned. So since 1985, I've been studying Zen and yoga. And um, those traditions believe that the breath is the bridge between the body and the mind and the spirit. Right. And so when you, when you begin breathing practices like box breathing, you, you literally are turning inward and riding that breath, you know, from an outward physical kind of orientation to a mental expanding and, and refining your mind to connecting deeply with your spiritual center. And then all those merge right, into one experience of wholeness. We call that whole mind. Fabulous. Okay. So breathing, deep breathing, box breathing. Yeah. Breathing. Dia diaphragmatic, deep diaphragmatic breathing. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Breathing. <laughs> Same answer. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, no, that, that foundation leads to also the capacity to really absorb a lot of mm. information. But I think read, reading to me is just absolutely unnecessary. So I read a book a week. My goal is to read a book a day. I read a lot every day. So it's probably equivalent of a book, but I don't actually read a book a day. And so uh, I read in three different ways. I actually will slow read books that I'm really, really interested in. You know, it could be a spiritual text or, you know, something that's, that's really interesting to me. And I'll audio book read. Um, you know, let's say I gotta, I'm going to come on someone's podcast or, and I want to, or I've got a guest on my podcast and I want to read their book. And I often read the audio book or I'll, or I'll speed read it, which is the third way. It's like grokking. So I'll just go through the book very quickly. And I've got a process for how to do that. Um, and I retain a fair, you know, 70, 80% of what I read. And I can get through a book in 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but I think having a daily practice of reading is critical. And then writing as well. So I didn't intend to be an author. It wasn't something. But when I wrote for the, um, when I designed the Unbeatable Mind training, which came out of my work with SealFit with special operators, a lot of people were coming and saying, hey, can I do what you're doing, but I don't want to go get my ass kicked. I said, okay, let me put something together that's like an online training. And let me, uh, in order to do that, I kind of had to really codify everything that I was teaching these guys in these long 30-day academies. It's like, it was like an American Shaolin monk, uh, warrior monk school. You know, I was teaching them all the stuff we're talking about. So I started writing this program, I ended up writing thousands of pages for this online program. And I wrote Unbeatable Mind, the book, which then I've, I've edited. Now I'm, on, I'm working on a third edition now. And I've written um, four other books, so five books. And I'm working on my sixth, as I mentioned. So just the process of writing unlocked this unbelievable creative aspect. So reading and writing work together like a hand in a glove, right? So if you read something, even if you just read for a few pages in the really inspiring text, and then you just journal, writing with your hand, not typing, but writing with your hand. There's something magical about that that really helps expand your creativity and helps you accelerate your learning. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of audio books in particular, but I also, I, like you, I kind of go 
at speed listening on a lot of audio books yeah. and then I'll revisit right. I'll actually revisit an audio book if there's something really interesting that I want to follow up on or reflect on and I'll get the either the physical book or the ebook and listen and read at the same time and yeah that's and, a good way to do and it making too, note yeah double, making double notes tap. is I agree with you there making handwritten notes is a really powerful way to just reinforce helps me memorize things yeah and it does something to your brain you know that you just typing on a computer just doesn't do yeah i I mind map them often and sketch stuff yeah oh that's cool mind mapping is a great skill as well i love that i don't do it much anymore but i like that all right so do you have a favorite resource you use most often the breath <laughs> a bit of a you mean like that like <laughs> You know, people say, what podcast do you listen yeah. to? And I don't actually, um, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't, I, I allocate so much of my time to my training and practices. I find that much more valuable than listening to other people's mm -hmm. content. I want to be an original. Like I, I listen to other people's content when I interview them or like we're having a fun conversation. So I'm learning from you. Um, my best resource has been, um, to be fair, it's been like perennial tradition books written by people long dead who, you know, who are absolute masters, you know, at what they do. Like some of the Rinpoches who've written about Tibetan Buddhism. Like I could just spend hours, weeks, days, and years on, on some of those, uh, some of that work. And my yoga tradition books, like the, like the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, or the Bhagavad Gita, hmm. or you know, Yoga Visastha. I mean, there's just some amazing things. You know, the, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Um, those are my go-to resources. I, I much rather spend time with them than some academic academician, you know, who comes out with yeah. some, you know, theory on positive psychology or something like that. Because I, I know all that stuff, kind of. I don't mean that from an arrogant or ego sense. It's like it's sort of obvious. Right. A lot of the stuff I see published is like, yeah, kind of obvious. Yeah, I think but um, um often people neglect some of those historical texts that people that are no longer with us have written and yet, you know, those those that have documented their learnings, their ideas, uh, they've basically left that for us and, and there's so much value that we can have from some of that. And what I think, in addition to that, I agree, is that these people embodied their mm. teachings. Like, they weren't doing it based upon an ethnographic study of other people. They were doing it on N equals one population yeah. themselves, based upon a lifetime of deep introspection and meditation and, and mm. teaching. So they, they, know, they know what you're talking about. All right. I think you've given us a few tips on this next one already, but let's let's ask the question anyway and see what else you have. Um, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Oh man, clients um, will go all over the place, so you got to meet them where they're at, right? And the best way to do that is um, active listening and asking really good questions, and constantly bringing them back to their most important target, mm -hmm. their most important thing. So when we work with co coaching clients, 
Um, they always want to move faster than they need to. And we continually bring them back to the basics, just like in the SEAL teams. You got to crawl before you can walk. You got to walk before you can run. So you, a lot of times you have to bring the young guys, constantly bring them back to the basics. Mm. You know, when you're shooting, just let's just come back and practice drawing the pistol and, and practice the grip and your stance. Practice your breathing. Practice the, you know, dry firing. Then we'll go to the 25, you know, so master those things and then we'll move on. So the best way for us to keep clients focused is to always come back to the basics and, and to, you know, keep on helping them simplify the clutter in their minds to really focus on those things that they need to work on. The one or two things. One step time. at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And uh, somebody, and this was in the context of speaking, um, we were talking about memorizing um, a presentation, a long presentation, particularly if it's something like a full day workshop. And um, their metaphor was the jigsaw puzzle. Start off with the corners, mm -hmm. put the edges around, and then start to fill yeah, it in. I like that. uh, it's that's the one step at a time yeah. approach. Yeah, the, the corners would be like a key mm -hmm. to the basics. Like get those in first and work on those, and then you got the structure mm -hmm. to build on. That's great. All right. Now, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? You know, to, to me, it is what we've been talking about is get over yourself. <laughs> you want to differentiate yourself, get over yourself, right? And, and focus on other people. Everyone's trying to be seen. And if you would turn that around and start seeing other people, then you'll really stand out mm. in the crowd. Yeah, I had to laugh. Get over yourself is the favorite saying of my business coach. <laughs> She, yeah, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> so she talks about leaving your ego at the door in her training programs. And, and awesome. <laughs> I would like her. <laughs> yeah. We'd get along just fine. All right. Uh, well, thanks, Mark. This has been absolutely fabulous. I mean, we've been going for quite some time, but we, obviously there's lots in your programs. I'm sort of tempted to go for 30 days and dig into the entire program. Uh, but uh, I'm respectful of your time, of course. Now, where can people find out more about your programs, about the work you do, about your books, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you shared today? Yeah, thank you for that. My Instagram is at realmarkdivine, M-A-R-K-D-I-V-I-N-E. My website is markdivine.com. The training that we've been talking about, Unbeatable Mind, is at unbeatablemind.com, all one word. And um, of course, my books are on Amazon, which is pretty much where everyone buys books these days. <laughs> and Barnes and Noble and stuff like that. All right, we'll have links to all of those in the show notes, of course. So, do you have some parting advice for our listener today, Mark? <laughs> Start a pra daily practice of mm. box breathing. It, it'll change your life. Yeah. All right. And it'll make you a better, it'll make you a better leader, a better teammate, a better father, mother, daughter, son, just better all around. Right. It's the, it's the secret weapon. Mm. It's the way in. And um, yeah, we'll have, through. have some links to some of your YouTube videos about box breathing on that too. So people can jump Terrific. straight in. Appreciate it. All right. Finally, who else should I get on this show and why? Oh, it's funny when I saw that you were going to ask that. One, my good friend Brian Johnson would be a great guest, and he is a true American philosopher in the sense that the old philosophers, the Stoics, um, understood that the theory was one thing, but if you didn't actually practice it and embody it and live it, then it was meaningless um, and it was actually kind of harmful. So he's someone who has studied 
philosopher, philosophers and philosophy for years and years and years, and enacted on it, and has a has a community of people that he calls Optimize, or, who are trying to uh, bring out the best in themselves and optimize every aspect of their lives. And he's starting a new company that I'm helping him with, which which will include all that, but then take it out into a social media network and also a publishing platform. It's called Heroic. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would really enjoy talking to him, Brian Johnson. All right. Well, we'll get an intro to Brian from you and reach out to him and yep, yep. arrange a time to have a conversation with him. Look forward to that too. I'm sure he'd, he'd, he'd be thrilled and I'd be thrilled yeah. to make the intro. All right. Well, thanks so much, Mark, for your time and your insights today. It's been absolutely fascinating learning about all the work you do and all the inspiration. And you've given us so much to think about here and i certainly encourage people to go read your books check out your youtube videos on box breathing and and the programs that you offer so thanks again all the best awesome. for the future and let's stay in touch thank you Jordan. appreciate it very much Hoo-yah. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and inspiring conversation with Mark and took something away from his episode. This certainly was a motivational conversation and the idea of transformation, both personal and with others, through service and mission focus was certainly one of the highlights for me. It definitely touched touched my area of focus as well. I'd love to know what you took away from Mark's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Mark Divine. That is M-A-R-K-D-I-V-I-N-E, all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Mark Divine. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Mark, as well as links to the Unbeatable Mind website, to all his books, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Mark suggested that we have a conversation with Brian Johnson, author of A Philosopher's Notes, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Brian, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Mark Devine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including author of The Creator Mindset, Nir Bashan, and podcast guesting strategist, Mikey Tsang. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.